All right, you got to rally. Okay. I know you got, I know, I know that times are tough. The seasonal fatigue is setting in on top of everything. <laughs> and like, you just got We're an hour back. It was dark when I drove over here. I know, it's a lot. Daylight it's... savings time is stupid. <laughs> Come on, man. We can do it. Eastern daylight time we be like, it. oh, it's getting late. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 2005 movie musical hit, The Producers. I wanna be a producer. I kinda do. I, Doesn't this movie want, want to make you a big Broadway producer and commit crimes? I mean, <laughs> a little bit, but also not. Well, producers all over Broadway history have been committing crimes, haven't they? Oh, and don't forget about Hollywood. With the musical content that gets produced. Uh, we're not talking about Hollywood. <laughs> we're not? We're talking about big Broadway. No, there are some points in this movie where I was like, don't think about Weinstein. Just don't think about Weinstein. Aww. Just don't. Yeah, don't. It'll make it less happy for you. You, you can, And Mel Brooks can make you laugh at just about anything, no matter how historically horrible it may be. Just about. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That is with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. Guys, uh, I think maybe by now we might know election results. We might. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday the 1st. Yeah, so. Just in case you folks don't know, when you listen to the things, we are two weeks ahead of schedule. Whatever happened, I literally don't know at this point. I'm going stress blind. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened, we are still here for y'all. And no matter what happens, don't take your eye off the ball. No matter who has won, don't take your eyes off the government for a second. Do crime. No. (laughs) Demonstrate. Do crime. Do crime. All right, you ready to get Broadway-tastic? Broadway-tastic. I miss Broadway so much. Let's assume for a moment that you are a dishonest man. Assume away. Under the right circumstances, a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit. You bloody little genius. I want everything I've ever seen in the movies. All we have to do is find the worst play ever written. (laughs) What is it? You found the flop? Touch it. Kiss it. Kiss it. It's the mother Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> From the twisted mind of Mel Brooks. We might have a position for you. As a matter of fact, we might have several positions for you. Nathan Lane. Send me to the moon, you animal. I love you! Matthew Broderick. Matt, she's fantastic. I've never felt this way before. Uma Thurman. Remember when Ula dance? Yeah. Ula dance again. God bless, sweet. And Will Ferrell. Ah! Dead still! How can I shoot you if you keep moving? Who? You already had your toilet break. I'm not going into the toilet. I'm going into show business. 
The Producers, directed by Susan Stroman. <laughs> so we need to talk about Mel. Yes, we need to talk about Mel. Melvin Kaminsky. Yes. <laughs> his birth name. You know him as Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is one of the most famous comedians of all time. He is absolutely... Oh, what's the word? Iconic. Like, all of the parodies, all of the farces that have come out of Mel Brooks's head. We have Young Frankenstein. We have... History of the World. High Anxiety. Yes. Uh, silent Movie. Blazing Saddles. Ugh, Blazing Saddles. Spaceballs. I love Spaceballs so much. Are we being too literal? No, you fool. We're following orders. We were told to comb the desert, so we're combing it. The giant comb. We ain't found shit. <laughs> Thanks for the gas, yogurt. <laughs> Bill Pullman. Merchandising. A kicking and streaming favorite. Yes. <laughs> and don't forget Men in Tights. Oh my, yes. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Who could forget? I you- love Men in Tights because it's a giant middle finger to that Kevin Cosner movie. Like, he also, like, he's worked with several different, you know, big hitters. Like, Carl Reiner, Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Neil Simon, Larry <laughs> Gelbart, Sid Caesar. And, you know, he's still going. Our good old Mel, he's 94. I know. And he's still working. So in 1967, which is early for Mel Brooks. That is like some of the early, early stuff. 1967, uh, a film starring Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder called The Producers hit the big screen. Isn't Zero Mostel famous for Tevye? Yes, he is. He originated the role of Tevye. I've actually never seen the 67 version of The Producers. I've seen parts of it. I'm not as big of a fan because... Because it's not a musical. Yeah, it needs music or I don't find this fun. Without music, this is just a tale of two men acting horribly. They get away with everything and don't learn anything. Yep, yep. (laughs) A classic. (laughs) A classic amongst our film viewing lexicon. (laughs) So then in 2001, someone said, Mel, can you write music? And you know he can't, actually. He could, like, hear music in his head, like, he could come up with it in his head, but he can't write it. Then why is he credited? Because he- Solely. He's credited solely. Here's how that happened. He literally hummed tunes into a tape recorder and got someone to write it down. Someone who is musically literate wrote all the notes he had. Okay, then they wrote the score. And they should be credited with him. No. I want you to look at the banner. This is the Playbill banner. From 2001, the OG production of the producers on Broadway. Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks. Music by Mel Brooks. Lyrics by Mel Brooks. You're right. Even just coming up with it in his head, like, unless he was frickin' Mozart, like, he needed some help. So, in terms of the film, the Broadway production was the one of the most successful Broadway shows on Broadway in quite some time. It, I don't think... It still holds the record, but it broke the record for most Tony Awards. Wow. One, it won it won 11 or 12 yeah. in one go, yep. the producers did. Four years later, since the film was such a success, they decided to make a film version. And that is what we are covering today. And as a matter of fact, most of the original Broadway cast are reprising their roles on screen here. All but two or three, I think. Yep, everybody, of the main cast, everybody except Uma Thurman and Will Ferrell. Susan Stroman directs the film adaptation of The Producers, and who better than to direct this than a accredited Broadway theater director like Susan Stroman? Have we talked about her before? No, but she is notable. She's a theater director. She's also a choreographer. Um, she directed The Producers on Broadway. Yeah. She directed The Scottsboro Boys, which was very successful. As always, we've got names. 
in another kicking and streaming appearance, we have the wonderful, the very talented Mr. Nathan Lane. Oh, I love Nathan Lane. You know Nathan Lane from The Birdcage. We covered The Birdcage last June. He's also the loving voice of Timon, your favorite meerkat from The Lion King. And you you know him, of course, from his portrayal of Snowbell in Stuart Little. <laughs> I love how you always bring Snowbell up. Because he's my favorite. <laughs> Snowbell is my favorite. Sorry, I'm a little confused. I thought that's what you do with a pet. A pet? I am not your pet. I'm a cat. You're a mouse. You should be living in a hole. This is my family. Can't we share them? Read my furry pink lips. No. Nathan Lane is usually my favorite if he's in something. We have Matthew Broderick in his second kicking and streaming appearance. Yes, we he was in the Stepford Wives when we covered that. That was ages ago. My God. It feels like ages ago. It was almost a year ago. Matthew Broderick is, of course, also speckled throughout your film viewing lexicon. He's Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, man, which we got to cover that at some point. He's um also the voice of adult Simba in yeah. The Lion King. Yeah. With Nathan Lane. They were going to do a scene that they cut out where they were in a bar and Ernie Sabella, the voice of Pumbaa, was going to be the bartender. Uh So we could have Timon, Pumbaa, and Simba all on the same scene. War Games comes up a lot on this show. You bring it up a lot. But we seem to be getting six degrees of separation from War Games all the time. Isn't John Spencer in that? John Spencer's in it. From From last week. From last week, absolutely. Or, well, from two weeks ago. He's also notable for stuff on Broadway, like How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and you know he's J. Pierpont Finch in that. Oh, aren't you proud to be in that fraternity? Fucking Thurman. Oh my god, why has it taken us this long to do an Uma Thurman movie? I I mean, listen, Uma Thurman just, she's in the Tarantino Mafia. Of course we know Uma Thurman from her portrayal as Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction. Absolutely. And other Tarantino things, like the Kill Bill saga. I love Kill Bill so fucking much. I, I wish Tarantino wasn't awful. She got so seasoned that she now thinks she's European. Is she not? She's like, hi, I am I am Uma Thurman, and I am from Europea. Madonna did the same thing. She starts using words like telly and, you know, a spot of. We've got Will Ferrell, Jesus Why. <laughs> Couldn't have been anybody else. No, I. why is it that people... Th- listen, it's just because he's a fool all the time. See? It gets exhausting, but Will Ferrell is no doubt a talent. Gavin also does not like Will Ferrell, and it's like, for me... It's hit and miss. He is in some of my favorite stuff. He's also in movies I do not like at all. I do not enjoy the Anchorman franchise. I mean... Whatsoever. You've got an army of opposition against you there. Uh, That's fine. Everyone loves the Anchorman shit. We don't have to agree on everything. (laughs) I love Stranger Than Fiction, which is probably the movie everybody hates him in. Talladega Nights. I don't like that movie either. See, exactly, exactly. That has more to do with NASCAR than it does with Will Ferrell, though. And who can forget his tumultuous tenure on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. The cowbell! Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I can... No. More cowbell! There are just too many unforgettable Will Ferrell live television moments. There are. You know what I so mean? are. We have Gary Beach. I know Gary Beach from two things. What's the other thing? Well, it's this, of course. He also originated the role on Broadway for the producers. He also originated the role of Lumiere in the 1994 production of Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. Oh my god! Adapted from the Disney film. Yes! Mm -hmm. We have Roger Bart 
in his second kicking and streaming appearance. Lots he, of Stepford Wives crossovers. Yeah, he was in Stepford Wives, and he was gay in that too. Yes, he was. All right, we need to dive into this because this is a two-hour film. I know it is kind of long. I isn't don't want to spend more than ninety minutes on this. All right, all right, <laughs> let's get going then. Universal slash Columbia logos always give my cerebral cortex a boop. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Because like, if we weren't watching movies in the theaters growing up, we were watching on VHS, and it, they they played before every ad. We open on a Manhattan skyline. Ooh, it's animated. Ooh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's got a, it's 1959. Yeah, so there's things in the background of the actual New York that can't be there. We can't film it, sorry. <laughs> or things that are not there that are missing. And we get the big white bulb letters, the producers. are in Broadway, baby. Yes, we are. See, that's one of the things I love about this movie is that it does, because it's paradoxical of Broadway in general, every number has a Broadway feel. The production design, it's all about Broadway, baby. It's so odd. Deco out on the floor. Stop. <laughs> I love it though. Anyway, we open on the opening night of Funny Boy, a musical version of Hamlet. They're at the Schubert Theater. Yeah, a that's... very famous Broadway theater. That's been in use since 1913. The Schubert Theater? I know. And to think that Broadway is shut down right now. Yeah. And might very well be until March of next year. It's kind of sucky, isn't it? Oh, it breaks my heart. Poor Broadway. I mean, also poor everyone that's died. Yes, no. <laughs> absolutely. But, but, absolutely. But you know what we mean. Yeah, we just miss it, guys. There's so many things about life we miss right now. <laughs> it's Bialystok's latest musical. You know what I love? What do you love? Okay, not only do I love the character of Max Bialystok, but Bialystok is a town in Poland. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. I did read that. That's where that name comes from. He's done it again. He's done it again. So Max Vialstock has done it again. <laughs> it's the worst show in town. A musical adaptation of Hamlet called Funny Boy. <laughs> How do you get people to work on this? I don't know. How do you get people who are like, oh yeah, obviously I'll put my name on that. Uh, through lewd sex acts, apparently. Oh, but we'll get there. God. We've seen shit. But never like this. <laughs> I love that so much. Those I love those like those two usherettes that come out at the beginning. They're so excited and to be like, here. It's opening night, and then like everyone's like, it was a piece of shit, and they're all just like, oh, well, maybe next time, Bialy. And this is a pattern with Bialystok, right? Apparently, they've had the sign specifically modified so it can be switched from opening to closing night. <laughs> this was made just for Max Bialystok. What a We are now in the offices of Max Bialystok Esquire. Esquire. <laughs> what does Esquire even mean? Esquire's just a fancy afterthought of a man's name. I don't know. I feel it's like when people try to use a semicolon in a sentence. It's to show you that you're fancy. Yeah, like you think you're real fancy with your semicolons. <gasps> 
Leopold Bloom, public accountant, has arrived to look over Bialystok's books. He's from Whitehall and Marks. Yes, it's a very big accounting firm. You know what gets me every time? What? The King Lear poster. No, okay, this will come up later, but there is a poster for King Lear right next to the front door. A musical adaptation of King Lear? But Lear is not spelled L-E-A-R like it is in the Shakespeare play. It's spelled L-E-E-R. Like you're leering, and the poster is definitely Lear. <laughs> but we'll come back to that later. What are you doing here? What do you want? <gasps> speak to me, dummy. Speak. Why don't you speak? Scared. Can't talk. Leo is an incredibly nervous sort. He's easily intimidated. He's easily manipulated. Uh-huh. And he's just, he's kind of a broken, unhappy man. He has a severe anxiety disorder. I would never make fun of a real person for having an anxiety disorder. But we are so making fun of this fictional character for it. Because... It's just two bananas. The physical comedy surrounding his anxiety is funny to me as a person with severe anxiety. Like, I need all the gifts. Can I just say, they are both just the only choices for right? these roles. Could you picture anybody else? No. Matthew Broderick is just too good. I know. He's just too good. And when you think of everything else you've seen him in, it almost makes you cringe. I know. To I, watch him in this role. I don't love him in everything, but I love him in this. It's like there's a disconnect. It's like I don't see Matthew Broderick. It's only Leo Bloom. I know. Only. And I mean, Nathan Lane is usually playing Nathan Lane. I know. But at the same time, I still love it. No, I love it all. That's my point. It's very <laughs> Consistent. Max now mostly lives in obscurity. He puts on shitty shows and he romances little old ladies in order to finance these shows. This, I'm sorry, that element of the plot is just sick. It is sick. It's sick, but we'll dive deeper into it in a minute. No pun intended. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. Max has a meeting with an investor. Air quote. It's a little old lady. I don't know what her name is. Oh, Jesus. Oh, this is Hold Me, Touch Me. Yeah, that's his name for her. When he, before he opens the door and he straightens his hair with that, I don't even know what he pours on his head. It's just like head tonic. And head tonic. I know. <laughs> and he combs over his hair. He's all glistening and wet. And he opens up that cabinet. <laughs> and there's pictures of all the old, all the little old bitties that he has to ball to get money. Where is Hold Me, Touch Me? Kiss me, feel me, clinch me, pinch me, lick me, bite me, suck me, far. Here she is. Oh, God. He answers the door, and it's it's Eileen Jessel. Is that her name? Yeah, that's the actress's name. <laughs> you know her, sweet little old Mrs. Snow from Finding Neverland. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh. and she's also Grandma Josephine and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Stop it right uh, now. I know. I don't want to think about Grandma Josephine getting bald by Nathan Lane. Neither do I. Well, now you've done it to me. Hello, my darling. Did you bring the checky? The Alistar can't put on any more shows without checkies. It's not going to be that easy, man. He's got to play a role-play game with her. She wants to play Virgin Milkmaid and the well-hung stable boy. Oh. Also, by the way, he has to hide Bloom. Oh, no, yeah. He has, he shoves Bloom in the bathroom, and he's like, just stay in there and don't come out. But I don't have to go. <laughs> just think about a waterfall, and you'll find yourself ready to go. <laughs> They're in the middle of Virgin Milkmaid and the well-hung stable boy, which is just fun to watch Nathan Lane play it straight. He is a homosexual. <laughs> of course, my little dairy queen. First, I'll uh, take your milk. <gasps> then, 
I shall take your virginity! Oh! Ah! No! No! Never! Never! Max finally pushes her off of him, and he's like, you gotta come back Thursday. Yeah. And he shoves her out of the office. I love it when she's like, I made the check out to the title of the play, just like you asked me. Cash. It's <laughs> a funny name for a play, oh my Cash. God. <laughs> These poor women. I know. It is horrible. He's taking advantage of them. Yeah. Once the old lady leaves, Leo comes back out of the bathroom and they start chatting. He sits down to do the books. Do you want to talk about the blue blanket? How can we not? (laughs) So here's the thing. Sometimes when you have anxiety, you have a little comfort object. A talisman, if you will. Something that you just thumb nervously while you're experiencing your emotions. That's valid. Every, there's nothing wrong with that. However, the content of this next sequence is out of control. Like, it's, it looks like a fucking handkerchief, but he says it's his blankie. It's a piece of the blankie. It's a piece of the blankie he's had since he was a child. It brings him extreme comfort. And I'm happy for him about that. Like, all he has to do is put it on his face. It's like he's a toddler again. But he goes into a full-fledged freakout when Max takes it from him. He snatches that thing out of his hand. He goes, my blanket! My blue blanket! Give me back my blue blanket! Ah! Give me my blanket! Give it to me! Give it to me! Give me the blanket! Ah! I was ugly laughing. I was positively guffawing. I have been in that place before, and I'm just like, oh, God, it's real. It's so real. I'm hysterical. (laughs) I'm experiencing hysterics. And Max is smacking him, trying to get him to calm down. He throws throws a thing of water in his face, and he goes... I'm wet! I'm hysterical and I'm wet! You're too close to me! You're frightening me! And Max, I'm frightening you! <laughs> Max has to finally sit down at the desk and smile big at him. <laughs> to get him to calm down? To get him to calm down. He goes, thank you for smiling. And I'm like, oh my god. Leo sits down to do the books for Funny Boy. And he finds this discrepancy that there was $2,000 unaccounted for in the money taken in from the backers. Max begs him to hide the money. Just make it look good. You're an accountant. You can do it. I used to be lavish. Now look at me now. I'm wearing a cardboard belt. (laughs) Bloom, you gotta save me. I'm reaching out to you. Don't send me to prison. <laughs> the reason I liked watching this this time around because I was legitimately laughing at something. Yeah, I, I, it's not something that I'd seen a thousand times and was rewatching. It was not something that you know I was just like <laughs> in the back of my mind. I was legitimately laughing. It's comedy gold. It, I, I can't believe this didn't do well at the box office. It was good serotonin on my brain. And what? No, it did not do well. Like, it only got, like, a 53% approval rating or some shit. You know, we don't talk about box office anymore. I haven't in the last couple episodes. Oh, my God. What? It didn't make its budget. Oh, no! They lost... Oh, my- How? <laughs> Oh, my God. They lost $7 million on this film. That's incredible. Well, that explains why there's not a movie adaptation of Young Frankenstein. Yeah. What, that come out, like, 15 years ago or some shit now? The the musical of it came out 13 years ago. Yeah, and we still don't have a movie? That totally explains why. (laughs) No one wanted to back that. Exactly. (laughs) We can do it. (laughs) We can do it. Speaking of which... We now have to talk about the crux of this film. Bloom's doing the books, and he goes, amazing. It's absolutely amazing, but 
Under the right circumstances, a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit. Yes, it's quite possible. If he were certain that a show would fail, a man could make a fortune. Yes. <laughs> the look on Max's face. He's like, holy shit. I can't believe Max has never thought of this. As unscrupulous as he is. And Max and me are both like, why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? No, exactly. Because honestly, I was in my 20s before I properly understood the premise of this fraud. Exactly. Let's assume that you are a dishonest man. Assume away. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing. When you're asking people to invest in your show, you sell shares in that sh- in that show. I sell you a 15% share of the show and you own 15%. When the play is a success, you're going to want 15% back of yes. what it makes. Okay? Now let's say cuz you know there's only 100% of something. Mm-hmm. Let's say you oversold the show. You only need $10,000 to produce this show, but you get people to over-invest and you end up with $20,000. If the play is a bust, those investors won't expect a return and the IRS isn't interested in your books anyway at that point. And so you get to keep the money that you didn't spend on the show. You don't have to pay anybody back. Well, thanks, Mel, for outing the whole scheme. I know, right? (laughs) Uh... If the show is a success... You cannot possibly pay back all of those people because you overestimated, right? Yeah. So that's where you go to jail. <sighs> so Bialystok says, we can do it. Yes. <laughs> this takes us into we can do it. Max is proffering that Leo can use his creative accounting smarts in combination with Max's producing chops to pull off the scam of all scams. We can do it. We can do it. We can make our dreams come true. Everything you've ever wanted is just waiting to be had. Beautiful girls wearing nothing but pearls, caressing you, undressing you, and driving you mad. No! Leo doesn't want any part of it, though. No. Like, he's always wanted to be a Broadway producer, but not if it means committing a crime. He has a secret desire. To be a Broadway producer. Because he can't have an actual desire. That would be too hopeful. No, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't allow hope. Max chases him out onto the street like, no, 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 you don't understand. (laughs) You could be a Broadway producer. (laughs) We can do it. Mr. Bihala, stop the song. You've got me wrong. I'll stay so long. I'm not as strong a person as you think. We can do it. Mr. Bihala, stop just take a look. I'm not a crook. I'm just a schnook. The bottom line is that I stink. Come on, Leo. Can't you see? You see Rio, I see jail. Leo is predictably not confident in his abilities. And so, like, he runs away. Bloom, think about this. You'll never get a cab at this hour. And it's in the middle of the day. I know. (laughs) The sun is shining. The tank is clean. Leo goes back to work at Whitehall and Mark's accounting firm. Oh, no. Oh, no. John Lovitz is here. (laughs) You know, John Lovitz. From Saturday Night Live, 
Yes. And box office bombs like Rat Race. <laughs> this is his third kicking and streaming appearance? It better not be. It is because he was in A League of Their Own. Yeah. And he was in Stepford Wives. He's playing Mr. Marks. He's a big dick with a cigar who emotionally terrorizes his accountants. Mm. A miserable little worm like yourself could never hope to achieve. Yes, Mr. Marks. Thank you for speaking to me. You're welcome. Now get back to work. All of you! Unhappy. The subtitles, all groaning. All groaning. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all these accountants and they're all in the same outfit, cranking the same machines going, unhappy, unhappy. It's a mood. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think about that at least once a week. Leo. Poor Leo. I know, poor Leo. I want to be a producer. I love this number because this is like Leo's daydream yeah. about being a producer. He's got his little sketchbook where he's sketching his name in lights. I know. On marquees and stuff. Oh, honey, I've been there. Leo Bloom presents. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Lunch at Sardi's every day. I want to be a producer, sport a top hat and a cane. I want to be a producer and drive those chorus girls insane. I love this number because the, the thing I love about this movie in general is obviously because we've got a director who directed the stage show, we have some impeccable staging in this film. It feels like I'm in a theater. Yeah, I know, right? It's really incredible. And they make really great use of the set in this one. I love this Art Deco production design. Like, this set slowly transforms from a CPA office to a Broadway stage. And it's exactly how it is in the Broadway production. I love it. When the shelves come out, the drawers come out, and they form stairs. Yeah, and chorus girls are popping out of filing cabinets. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love the tap dancing girls wearing nothing but pearls. It's much like every other musical number in the film. They all go on for way too long. No, some of these numbers are a little gratuitous. And I mean, if I were in a theater watching, this would be great, but I'm in my bed. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm wiping away chip crumbs from underneath me. You know? No, it's the, the romance is not there. And so Leo decides in that moment that he is wasting his life. Yeah. Stop the world! I want to get on! He you hear two big brass balls drop, and he goes, <laughs> Mr. Marks, I quit! Everybody is scandalized. He tells Mr. Marks that his title stands for Certified Public Asshole. <gasps> <laughs> and he's like, deuces! Suck a dick, dumb shits! I'm gonna be a producer. So the first thing that 
Max and Leo have to do is find a show that's so bad that it guarantees failure. Mm -hmm. Remember, if they oversell this show and it is even remotely a success, they're in the shit because they have to find a way to pay back all of those people. So they are in the office surrounded by stacks of scripts. They've been up all night. And finally, after so many hours, they finally find a doozy. Mm -hmm. Springtime for Hitler by, by Franz, Franz Liebkind. <laughs> Springtime for Hitler. A gay romp with Eva and Adolf at Berchtesgaden. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God is right. Oh it's practically a love letter to Hitler. <laughs> Max, this won't run a week. A week? Are you kidding? This play has got to close. On page four. So they go to visit the author of the play, Franz Liebkin. And it's fucking Phil Werrell. <laughs> Will Farrell is here, everybody. He's in Lederhosen and a German helmet. He has pigeons. He does. He has pet pigeons. Someone has to explain to me how carrier pigeons were a thing and how the birds knew where to go. Well, you've seen Harry Potter. No, no, no. That, see, that doesn't say anything either. How did the owls it's know magic. where to go? It's magic. The owls, the pigeons can't read. How do they know where to go? They it's, have no concept. It's magic. Stop. No. The carrier pigeon. Someone has to explain this to me. Okay. Max and Leo get up on the roof and they approach him. Franz Liebkin. I was never a member of the Nazi party! I only followed orders! I had nothing to do with the war! I didn't even know there was a war on! We lived in the back, right across from Switzerland. All we ever heard was yodeling. I do know that Mel Brooks is Jewish. I just kind of hate that he's trying to make me laugh at a Nazi. We lived in the back. I know. <laughs> I know. Like you weren't a part of it at all. They Max and Leo tell him that they want to produce Springtime for Hitler, and he is beside himself. But it's not going to be that easy. Like, he's grateful, but he's not going to sign over the rights to the show unless Max and Leo swear their loyalty to the Fuhrer by dancing the Gutentag Hopklop. But he's an actual Nazi. He's an actual Nazi, guys. <laughs> Eins, zwei, drei. Gutentag, hop, hop. Gutentag, klap, klap. Ach, du lieber Hund. Oh, boy. Gutentag, klep, klep. Gutentag, slap, slap. Ach, du lieber Hund. Oh, joy. Nazi humanization aside, this number is fun. Like, it's a lot of physical comedy and the synchronized patty cake. As Franz is handing them Nazi armbands to swear their loyalty, Leo's looking at Max like, Max, we never should have started this. I think we're getting in too deep. Too deep? This is nothing. I'll tell you when we're getting in too deep. <laughs> Max is like, the <laughs> Nazi party? This is nothing. Yeah. I'll tell you when we're getting in too deep. Now we've got our show. Now we have to find the worst director in New York to direct this heap. We go to the home of Roger Debris. And for being one of the worst theater directors in New York, he has a very lavish home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they are gay, so they have fantastic taste. We get first introduced to Carmen Gia. Yes. <laughs> Roger's, Roger Bart. Roger's common law assistant. <laughs> Roger Bart is here. He's answering the phone and he has attitude. Please play it. Hello, the living room of renowned theatrical director Roger Debris' elegant Upper East Side townhouse on a sunny Tuesday afternoon in June. 
Who may I say is calling? Listen, you broken down old queen. He was drunk. He was hot. You got lucky. Don't ever call here again. Who was that? Wrong number. This is like the third Stepford Wives connection. I know. And I will say, this movie is not especially kind to the gays. Just every lousy stereotype you can imagine. Well, back in the day, the gays were always the butt of the joke. Yeah. And this, this is like 2005. Are they the butt of the joke here? A little bit, yeah. I don't like the idea of us making the Nazis look gay and therefore they look foolish. Yeah, no, that's they're not They're foolish good. because they're Nazis. Yeah. You don't need to make them look gay to make them horrible. That's a very fair point. And it's very monstrous to gays. Yeah. Who the Nazis also hated, hated and persecuted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a very good point. I had not thought about that. Let's not all put on our pink stars just yet. And like, again, with the stereotypes, Carmen is catty. Carmen is superstitious. Carmen is- Carmen is too much. Carmen is <laughs> dramatic. Carmen takes them to meet Roger. Roger, (laughs) we're not alone. It's so creepy. (laughs) Like, Roger Bart's face (laughs) is the real star of the show. I love him so much. (laughs) Roger is already dressed for a choreographer's ball. I want to have drinks with Roger Debris and Carmen Ghia. Like, Roger, what's he supposed to look like? Oh, dear. Your Mr. Bloom is staring at my gown. Oh, well, well, I... I should explain. I'm going to the choreographer's ball this evening. There is a prize for best costume. We always win. I'm not so sure about this year. I'm supposed to be the Grand Duchess Anastasia. But I think I look more like the Chrysler building. He so does. <laughs> he so does. Max asks him if he's read Springtime for Hitler and if he'll produce it. And the answer, surprisingly, is no. Yeah. Because the whole premise is much too depressing for them. Yeah. They have this opinion that theater has gotten too dramatic and... Uh, gloomy. Gloomy. We need to put the gay back in theater. And I'm like, I'm behind that. No matter what. You do on the stage. Keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay. Whether it's murder, mayhem, or rage, don't complain. It's a pain. Keep it gay. This takes us into Keep It Gay. And this song, this song, this song is so much. I know, I know. It's my favorite. Roger introduces the the Bialystok and Bloom to their production team. Mm. They all live there. They do. They all live and there. And we all know what they're doing. Oh, no. <laughs> Every one of them is a gay stereotype. We have a leather-clad set designer named Brian. Brian. Who is straight out of the village, people. Brian's my fave. I know he is. <laughs> uh, what would you pay for that? mustache ride. Stop. (laughs) We have the Alan Carr looking one. Alan Carr? I wrote Elton John. Both. Yeah, no. Costume. Alan John. Costume designer Kevin. Scott the choreographer. The bulge! The comedically huge package on this man. It's it's hilarious because everybody's acting like it's like a bomb or something. Like if you get too close, it's going to go off. Last but not least... We have lighting designer Shirley Moskowitz, who is a bullpen lesbian. Keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. You know that woman could kill you with her thumb and forefinger. Probably. Like, you just know it. I also don't like the portrayal of the mentally absent lesbian. No, yeah, that's not great for me either. Roger's still not convinced. No, he keeps resisting them. And then... What finally wins him over? Think of the respect. No. Think of the prestige. No, no, no. Think of the Tony. 
Tony, 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 Tony. Production members, their eyes light up and cross. Carmen is like spinning one of those little mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> I lose it every time. Is he all right? He's having a stroke. Of genius! <laughs> Roger, we're all right here, Everyone man. Everyone is out of 15. <laughs> I am here for it. Yeah. I am here for it. Like, th- if you wanted a ready to go crew, you have found it. They are their down bitches. Roger tells them he will direct. But only if they get to do it his way, with chorus boys in tight pants and a completely rewritten ending where the where Germany actually wins the war. God. <laughs> what the fuck? Jesus. Max and Leo get back to the office, and they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling like most of the conflict is out of their way now. Enter the thing that will definitely be coming between them. Partners, Leo. Partners all the way, and nothing or no one will ever come between us. Nothing or no one, Max. Come, come in. in. Good dog, me Uma Thurman walks through the door, and remember the King Lear poster? When she walks in, the eyes on the King Lear poster go directly to her. <laughs> That's one of my favorite background details ever. I love it. So Ula make audition. Yes. <laughs> what is it with Mel Brooks? And the dumb blonde Swede. I don't know, because Young Frankenstein... Yeah, also has a dumb blonde Swede in it. Roll, roll, roll in the hay. And like, I don't know, man. He just loves the, he just loves those young pretty blondes, I guess. I guess. Put the candle back. Ula is here to audition for the show. Yes. And even though they have no idea when casting is going to be. Exactly. Like, they're like, oh, like, oh, yeah, she's hot. She's totally yeah. auditioning. They don't care when casting is. Yeah. They just, it's like, I would like to see someone on that couch who's under 85. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. <laughs> One, because he's stooping little old ladies for their money. And two, the whole concept of the casting couch. Yes. Like, that's the one thing I don't like about this song is that it kind of validates that theory that women use their bodies to advance their careers in entertainment Uh instead of placing blame on the disgusting men who abuse their power and position. Exactly. Like, that's the only thing I don't like about this song. Ula auditions with a song she wrote herself. I love that she puts it on the piano. Yes. Like she's gonna start playing it. Yeah. She presses one piano key and it's like it's a player. It's like it's a music player. The song just starts. When you go teet, flaunt it, step right up and strut your stuff. People tell you modesty's a virtue, but in the theater, modesty can hurt you. Uma Thurman doing all of her own singing and dancing. She did have a body double for some of the more complicated moves, but yeah, for the most part, it's her. Yeah, and she does a really good job. Remember when Ula dance? Yeah. Ula dance again. Ula dance again. <laughs> <laughs> again, not here for the objectification. They don't care how good she is. <laughs> She's a hot Swede who is taller than both of them put together. They do manage to make me laugh about it, though. Oh, my God. It's Mel. Pesky Mel. (laughs) And um, And I know you don't like this song because it's problematic, but I still catch you belting it out. Oh, no. I sing this song (laughs) to myself in the shower all the time. Now, Ula, belt.
feast upon your charms. People say that being prim is proper. But every showgirl knows a prim will stop her. So basically, they ask Ula to work for them as a receptionist until casting gets underway. Yeah, because they don't even know if there's a part for her in the show. (laughs) So now it's time to raise money. I can't. You know, you talk about this. I'm checking out. We've got the show, we've got the director, we've got a receptionist. Now we just need money, right? Yep. You talk about a long Canby Alley. I can't. I'm going. Bye-bye. This number is gross, but it's also some great fun. Because what Max has to do, per the scene we saw earlier, he sleeps with these little old ladies and gets them to give him money for his shows. They were joyless. They were boyless. Then along came Bialy. They're my angels. I'm their devil. And I keep those embers aglow. When I lose them, I can't lose them. Cause I cast my spell and they start yelling, fire down below! This number is great fun because we've got dancers dressed up as little old ladies. Mostly men, right? Yeah, a lot of them are men. (laughs) He goes over to this apartment building and just starts ringing every buzzer. Why is every little old lady dressed the exact (laughs) same way? Because it's Broadway, Roz. I love that Andrea Martin is one of them. Yes, Andrea Martin from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes. Oh my God. Also Miss Fowl. Jimmy! All these little old ladies just start filing out into the street, across the street to the park. And like every one of them has a walker. Yeah. Did you think it was possible to choreograph a number with walkers? They're doing this tap dance thing that I absolutely love. If Glee can do Proud Mary in wheelchairs. I guess. Fucked enough old biddies to raise two million. That's a lot. In 1959, it is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot of little old ladies. Uh, two million. One for me and one for Bloom. <laughs> I hope Bloom appreciates. He better. I know. He fucking better. He didn't have to ball a single one of those no, ladies. Yeah, you're right. You're but right. neither did Max. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, Ula's made some drastic changes to the office. Yeah, Leo and Max come back to find Ula tidying up. She's painted the whole apartment white. And it's not just the walls, folks. She's painted over the furniture. She's painted the floor. Max just kind of has to disregard. He's got to get the money so he can pay the theater. He goes to the safe, tries to open it, and goes, Oh, she painted over the numbers. <laughs> Oh, Ula. Oh, my God. Oh, Ula. <laughs> this is also bullshit. She's doing this painting in a cerulean cocktail dress. Doesn't have a drop of paint on her. I know. Hate it. I'm stressed out by this environment now. How does anybody with all-white decor keep anything clean? I don't know. It's just stressful. Max leaves to go pay the theater. As soon as he leaves, she is immediately trying to put the moves on Leo. Mr. Bloom, we are all alone. Yes, we are. Aren't we? Why Bloom go so far, camera right? Bloom no like Ula. Ula like Bloom. Oh. Oh, oh, Bloom like Ula, all right. Uh, Maybe a little too much. Kid. Why Bloom go so far, camera right? I love that. (laughs) 
the show, it's stage right. Yeah. Why Bloom go so far stage right? <laughs> I love it. She's adorable. And so this takes us into that, that face. face. That face. That dangerous face. I mustn't be unwise. Those lips, that nose, those eyes could lead to my demise. This is the falling in love song, right? I was like, this whole song has just this little Rodgers and Hammerstein's melody going. Yeah. And Matthew Broderick and Uma Thurman are doing this ballroom-esque routine. I don't know when it happens, but it cuts away from her and then cuts back. And when it does, that cerulean cocktail dress is now a gown. It's not just blue. It's not lapis. It's not turquoise. It's actually cerulean. (laughs) Sick reference, bro. You're so blithely unaware of the fact. I'm kidding. I won't (laughs) (laughs) I love the gown, though. Like, it makes it really nice for all the swishy swooshies in the choreography. The swishy swooshies in the choreography? (laughs) Where are you, Busby Berkeley? (laughs) You know, when she kicks her legs and the dress goes whoosh. Yeah, all you need is a kaleidoscope and you have your dance routine. So that song wraps up. They're staring at each other in the eyes and we're like, oh, we're catching feelings. So Debris cannot handle auditions. Yeah, now we're in casting. Also, I just got that. What? His name. Is Debris? Debris. <laughs> As in trash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, right. Because it's spelled D-E, capital B-R-I-S. Debris. Debris. Jesus. <laughs> Great. I don't want to spend too much time in this scene. It is a really funny scene. We've got some dopes trying out for the part of Hitler. Yeah. Like, we, we get this guy up there that is, like, doing this Pinocchio thing. I d- yeah. Little wooden boy. I, I can't. I don't know what's going on there. They're all funny. They are all funny. We get to the last one, and, oh, what's the name of the song he's doing? It's Haben Sie Gehört Das Deutsche Band. Yeah, I like the way the music goes. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> like, I know we've got some downloads in Germany. Please don't come for me. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Sorry. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Liebkind is outraged at this rendition of what now? Haben Sie gehört das Deutsche Band? And go, he goes up there to teach him a lesson. He goes, This man could never play Adolf Hitler? The Führer wasn't a mousy little mama's boy. The Führer was butch. This is how you say Haben Sie gehört das Deutsche Band? Then Phil Werrell gets to do it. Phil, yeah. He's like, I'll show you how to sing it, you ninny. And you know what? Liebkind just ends up being offered the role of Hitler anyway. (laughs) They're just like, you know what? He's going to poo-poo everyone that comes up here. (laughs) Might as well. You know he's the one that wants to do it. It's the only kind of music that we Hans and our Hannes love to sing. That's our Hitler! We've arrived at opening night for springtime for Hitler. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they managed to sell this many tickets to this. They have sold out. If all his plays are so bad, how on earth would anyone come to see it? Think about Hollywood. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Think about Hollywood. You are absolutely and all the horrible right. things. <laughs> 
that people pay to see. Kevin Costner. Ah, uh, yeah. People keep going to see <laughs> Kevin Costner movies. How does Kevin Costner keep getting work? <laughs> We're coming down to the wire here because this has to go poorly, right? Right. Remember, the number one thing is that you... Remember the one thing you don't do on opening night? It's been a while since we've been in theater, but I bet you remember the thing you don't do on opening night. You don't wish anyone in the production good luck. You say break a leg. Break a leg. And this takes us into you never say good luck on opening night. Fuck. Another useless number. What did you say? Bite your tongue. Gordon Himmel! Well, what's the matter? All I said was good luck. Oh, he said it again. Mr. Bloom, hasn't anyone ever told you it's bad luck to say good luck on opening night? If you do, I tell you... It is certain by the curtain you are through. Good luck. (gasps) While Roger, Carmen, and Franz educate Leo about that phrase in the form of song, Max is in the background doing anything he can possibly do to incur bad luck. (laughs) We're moving a ladder in front of the backstage door so everyone has to walk under it. We're breaking glass. He swings a cat by the tail, (laughs) throws it backstage, and like the curtain's going up, tick tock. And Franz is like, I have to get ready. And he runs backstage, and there's this comedic pratfall sound effect. Franz, what happened? I broke my leg! This sounds like it might be a good thing, right? But we have to actually put on the show for the show to go poorly. Exactly. Otherwise, we have to refund everybody's money. No, thank you. So in a desperate attempt to get on with the show, Max pulls Roger Debris in to play Hitler. (laughs) Remember Roger, who has no concept of subtlety or craft? Or heteronormativity. Right? (laughs) So this is going to be good. Or or rather, it's going to be bad. But (laughs) we'll get there. The show is my favorite part of the movie because we hear a lot about the show and concept but don't actually see it being rehearsed or anything like that. So we're seeing it for the first time together as an audience. Yeah. And guys, John Barrowman is here. Guys! John Barrowman. I love John Barrowman. He is the Disney prince we deserve. The gay Disney prince we deserve. I just that you guys, you know John Barrowman from things like Doctor Who. I almost said Broadchurch, but that's David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know him from it's uh it's the Doctor Who companion series. It's um Oh, I'm blanking. Someone take my Whovian card. Torchwood. Torchwood, that's what it is. He was in a revival of La Cage à Faux. Yes, he was. Which is what the Birdcage is based you on. You love to listen John Barrowman sing you I Am What I Am. Oh, it's amazing. He is just, oh, I can't get over it. He is the Rolf we all want to see. Exactly. <laughs> we kind of get this German rendition of Girl for All Seasons, right? <laughs> All the women are coming out in insane outfits. We've got this line of women dressed as Steins, Wiener Schnitzel. Let's not forget the lady with the soft pretzel on her head. <laughs> I do appreciate that contribution to society. <laughs> 
people are starting to get up and leave because they're offended, and rightfully so. Yeah. And this the is... The look on everyone's faces. Like, just to be clear, Germany would be offended by this. Yeah. Like, Germany is very transparent and upfront about their negative relationship with the rest of the world. See, that's the thing. Germany teaches their young about their national shame. I know. Yeah. It, it is, you're doing it right. <laughs> it's like a crime to display swastikas or to... Z-Kyle. Yeah, it's a crime. So that's great. A plus, Germany. Keep doing what you're doing. And like people are leaving. And this is when Roger makes his grand entrance. From the moment he opens his mouth, he doesn't do a second of acting. He's just up there being Roger. Yeah. He is flamboyant. He is dramatic. Imagine if Judy Garland went on as Hitler. Oh, the Judy <laughs> Garland vibes. I'll myself. I'll to me. I'm the crowd who's out to change our history. I'll myself raise your hand. There's no greater dictator in the land. People start getting back in their seats because as America continues to prove, being a Nazi is not automatically a deal breaker for some people. There's no greater dictator in the land. Do you love the little Judy Garland thing he does where he sits down in front of the curtain? The, yep, on, on front of the stage. On the edge of the it's stage. It's like he's going to start singing Born in a Trunk. I know. And I'm ready for it. Getting real intimate with the audience. <laughs> it just, it devolves from there. Ula comes back to be at the center of a series of kick lines that form a swastika. I love, I'm sorry, I love the mirror trick. I know they're forming a swastika and we shouldn't applaud that. No, no, no. We are in love with the production of it. Yes. Not with the subject matter. (laughs) Like, it's awful. It's cringe. It's horrible. But the synchronization. Genocide never comes into it though. I know. I just try to I just try to think about Ula and that periwinkle blue uniform and the legs. So obviously this is all gonna backfire. The audience goes nuts. It's an actual hit. People are on their feet. It'll run for years. Oh my god! <laughs> This is very, very, very bad. Yes. The show that was supposed to flop is being called a satiric masterpiece. And Leo and Max go back to the office in a daze. Yeah. Leo is curled up on the floor in a fetal position with his blankie. Remember when he threw that blankie in the trash? When he finally got his confidence back? He fishes it back out. He's curled up going, no way out. (laughs) No way out. And like Max is staring at the paper like, how could this happen? We picked the wrong play. The wrong director, the wrong cast. Where did we go right? Leo is, like, trying to get into the safe so that he can get the books. He's going to go turn himself into the cops. Yeah. He's like, I'll get time off for good behavior (laughs) and because I'm cooperating. (laughs) And, like, a struggle ensues over the books. Mm -hmm. Give me those friggin' books! Give me... I never should have listened to you. I was an honest man before I met you. An honest man? You are an honest mouse. Oh, how I hate you. Double, double, double. Franz, with a 
broken leg on a crutch, comes in waving a gun with his free hand. You have ruined my masterpiece. Because Max and Leo broke the Siegfried Oath, right? They did. They're making fun of Hitler. (laughs) And it's just like, I can't, you know these people exist. And I just, I can't imagine that even happening. But it's, it's real. Like, Max, you know... If I could say one thing, he can use his mouth to get out of tricky situations. Pa- Ew. Like they're <laughs> No pun intended, I'm sure. God. Why don't you shoot the actors? The actors? Yes, the actors. Everybody laughed at your beloved Fuhrer tonight. Mm. And why? Because of the actors. The actors were making fun of him. Yeah, you're right, the actors! <laughs> Wait a minute! God, ah! What are you talking about? What do you mean, kill the actors? You can't kill the actors. Actors are not animals. They're human beings. They are. Have you ever eaten with one? Yeah. Listen. The police show up, I'm sure responding to gunshots. (laughs) They arrest Franz, and after finding two sets of accounting books, they book Max as well. Like, why Max and not Leo, you ask? Because during the chaos, the gunfire, somehow Leo managed to get himself hooked up on the back of the front door. Don't ask us how. I don't really know how. (laughs) It's all for the sight gag, because once they leave, once the cops leave, Ula shows up in the most gorgeous periwinkle ball gown. Jesus. She's looking for them, because everybody's at the rap party. Yeah. And Leo is considering turning himself in because it's not fair that only Max go to jail. He helped. Yeah. Like Max was def Max definitely did more work. <laughs> but he helped. And so Ula's like, all right. It seems to me you have two choices. Number one, you can go to jail with Mr. Bialystok for years and years and years. Or Number two, you can take that two million dollars and Ula and go to Rio. We've arrived at my favorite song, y'all. Oh, God. Betrayed. We cut to Max in a prison cell getting mail. He gets a postcard from Leo and Ula just living it up on a beach in Rio. They're married. I know. And I'm like, they a, oh, poor Max. They eloped. Poor Max. I know. And Max, just absolutely clutching his pearls, Uh breaks into song. This is your favorite. I love this so much. You love Betrayed. Boy, have I been taken. I should have seen what came to pass. I should have known to watch my ass. I feel like Othello. Everything is lost. Leo is Iago. Max is double-crossed. I'm so dismayed. Did I mention I'm betrayed? I love Nathan Lane. I know. He is just doing this so well. The energy in this song is insane because (laughs) it's also very intense because Max is alone on camera. It's the only number in the film where the person singing is alone. Yeah. So he's looking right into the camera and it's like he's singing right to us. This is almost like, I don't know how you pronounce this term, but there's always that, you know, at the end of Act 1, you know, you have your intermission, then you come back. At the beginning of Act 2, they have usually what's called the entracte. Entracte? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I've seen that word in Which print. Which is literally just kind of an overture for Act 2 of all of the songs up until that point. Yeah. 
He kind of takes us through something like that. He literally sings the plot of the show for us up until that point. Come on, Leo, we can do it. Step one, find the play. See it, smell it, touch it, kiss it. Hello, Mr. Liebkin. Good dog, hop, hop, good dog, hop, hop. Adolf Elizabeth Hitler. Good dog, hop, hop, good dog, hop, hop. Step two, hire the director. Keep it gay, keep it gay. Keep it two, three, kick turn, 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 kick turn. You might as well start the movie here. I know, right? (laughs) I can't play the whole thing, but this is my favorite bit from the movie. And Nathan Lane puts his whole body into it. Yeah. When the marquee lights come up inside the cell, (laughs) I laugh every time. Just like Julius Caesar was betrayed by Brutus. Who'd think an accountant would turn out to be my Judas? I'm so dismayed. Is this how I'm repaid to be betrayed? Betrayed! We cut to Max's trial. The Big Lebowski is presiding. (laughs) What's that guy's name? David Huddleston. Richard Kind is the foreman of the jury. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached your verdict? Yes, Your Honor. We have. We find the defendant incredibly guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love Richard Kind. He's also just famous for being annoying. Dad, you can stop honking now. I'll stop when we get to Florida. I think he played Bialystok in the national tour. He probably did. I would believe it 100%. (laughs) Judge Big Lebowski. (laughs) Judge Big Big Lebowski looks at Max and says, do you have anything to say? And Max gets up there and starts saying that for a moment – He thought his life finally had some meaning. He's like, I can't believe this is where I'm at. My best buddy ran off to Rio with all my money and this woman. I thought I'd at last found a loyal partner. A man I cared about and who I thought cared about me. And what breaks my heart is that now when I need him most, he's deserted me. And I will probably never see or hear from him ever again. That's not true. Leo and Ula appear out of nowhere. Witness for the defense. In matching outfits, no less. Oh, my God. Like, the print of her dress matches his tie, and I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it now. Leo is here at the 11th hour, literally, to have culpability for his part in this scheme. He gets up there, and he goes, I was a nobody. No one had ever called me Leo. People called me Bloom when I was in kindergarten. (laughs) This was the first person to ever call me by my first name. And I'm like, Leo, that's so sad. When you think about it, people born in the teens, 20s, and 30s, they were always adults. So formal. Yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean. This takes us into... To him. Which is just one big gay ballad for Bialy. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I was going nowhere in a hurry. Till him. He filled up my empty life. Filled it to the brim. There could never, ever be another one like him. 
It's guy love. That's, that's all it is. It is also undoubtedly the weakest song in the score. Is this the mama I'm a big girl now of the producers? <laughs> no, I just, maybe it's just because I like it the least. But it is very pretty. Like, it also has this Rodgers and Hammerstein's type melody. It's about their bromance. And he filled up my empty life, filled it to the brim. I just love that based on the fact that Judge Big Lebowski can see that they're inseparable friends. <laughs> gives them equal sentences in the same cell. <laughs> It breaks my heart to break up such a beautiful friendship. So I won't. Five years in the state penitentiary at Sing Sing. Gotta sing sing. Gotta sing sing. He sends them to Sing Sing. Upstate New York. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I I love Isn't that just funny though? Sing I, Sing. It is it's funny. <laughs> I love the singing in the rain reference. Oh my god! Gotta sing, sing. Oh god! Yeah, you know, but they're you, you know what? Putting them in prison is not going to stop them from getting up to their old tricks. We're staging a musical in prison called Prisoners of Love. Prisoners of Love. Not quite. It goes more like Prisoners of Love. Blue skies above. Like, not only are we selling tickets to this show that's happening in prison, we're overselling the show! We haven't learned a thing! No, no. Like, Bloom is literally taking over shares, and then Max is behind him, rehearsing a number on stage. Sing out, murderers! Let him hear you in solitaire! <laughs> <laughs> My god! You know what happens to the two white men? Deus ex pardona. Yeah. The governor pardons them for bringing Broadway to the prison system. I think I might crack like a vase. I know. It's so stupid. We haven't learned a goddamn thing. They get out and, and they stage Prisoners of Love on Broadway. Bloom finally gets his producer's hat. Yeah, because like, he wouldn't let him wear the hat until he was an actual Broadway producer. And they did the damn thing. And so, yeah, he gets his hat. I'm not going to get choked up about that. It's stupid. But it is. It's just nice. And so they shake hands and they walk off into the neon light together. We get these title cards that are shows they've produced as a team. <laughs> we have a streetcar named Murray. <clears throat> she stoops to conquer South Passaic. Cats, spelled K-A-T-Z. <laughs> Mame, as in maim and kill. <laughs> and my personal favorite, Death of a Salesman on Ice. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. It was. That, like you said, that was good serotonin for my soul. The comedic value of this, while at times problematic, is just so great for me. I just, I miss Broadway. I know, I know. I, is, is that going to be the title of the episode? Or how the I The producers or how I learned how much I miss Broadway. <laughs> COVID is a thing. It's still a thing. It's not over. We have to keep this up. And I just hate that there are so many creative people, in addition to the people who are suffering right now and continue to suffer, like there are also a lot of very wonderful creative people who are just out of a job and all of the sudden have to become internet stars yeah. in order to make a living. And I just, I think about those people as 
well as the people who are experiencing this disease firsthand. Watching this in the end times, I'm, I was really glad that I got some honest-to-God, genuine laughter out of this. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad that I could do that for the, you. Like <laughs> I said in the beginning, like, this wasn't something I was re-watching and then, you know, slightly chuckling because I've heard it a million times. You know, this was I, this was something I hadn't seen in quite a long time, and I was it was really refreshing to actually be genuinely engaged with it. So, it's way too fucking long. No, yeah. And the musical numbers are way too long, but you know, Mel is going to milk this for what it's worth. (laughs) (laughs) No, when, okay, remember when Tina Fey announced that we were getting a movie adaptation of the Mean Girls musical? I did not want you to open up this can of squirmy worms. I was like, when that, when that got announced, I was like, that is some Mel Brooks shit. This is literally a movie based on a musical, based Based on on a movie movie he wrote. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need a Mean Girls film musical. Shut up. We don't need it. Speak for yourself. Mean Girls didn't need to be a musical (laughs) at all. No, that does seem to be the trend lately, right? We were making musicals out of popular movies. Like, because they're guaranteed for people to come see them. But Tina Fey and her jazz orchestra composer husband (laughs) just will not quit. I love it. Leave them alone. Mm. Leave Britney alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Guys, we hope you enjoyed that. We hope you had fun with it. We're all over the place, but that's okay. <laughs> Mentally, it's just... (laughs) The energy is chaotic these days. Yeah. All right, folks, we've got a couple shows left in November before we get to the Christmas. And uh, I kind of picked this, so I let Ross pick the next one. And he picked a good one. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, guys, we've been wanting to do this for quite some time. And um, I think everyone's really going to enjoy it. I I know I will. Um, Shout out to my friend Gabby. Uh, I know you don't listen to the show, but we always talk about how you are this person. So... (laughs) So, guys, next week we will be covering the 1996 children's film Matilda. Guys, Matilda! Oh, it's going to be a great time. Directed by Danny DeVito! Danny DeVito's back! Directed and starring Danny DeVito. I love Danny DeVito! Look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. I haven't said it in a couple of episodes, but I'm going to find some more podcasts and links that we're listening to. Check out the show notes, all right? Please. Anything else you want to say? Yeah. (laughs) What is it? Fuck Trump. (laughs) (laughs) All right. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Sorry, Mom. Mom.